Good morning. The text this morning is John 7, 1 to 24. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go to Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now as the festival of the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews, they were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own, It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain glory. But he who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry at me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. All right. I remember a time at Bible college where we had a visiting speaker. And they came, uh, and I can't, you know, like lots of sermons, right? You don't remember necessarily the passage of the whole thing, guys. I, I know, it's okay. Uh, but hopefully, you know, there'll be some sort of takeaway. And I remember from this particular sermon, that the takeaway that I had was this bit of advice that he gave to all of these prospective uh, pastors and scholars and church workers when he said, if you're going to talk about somebody else's views, if you're going to talk about somebody else and their ideas, then you need to make every effort to represent those views fairly and truly. You have to imagine that if that person was sitting over your shoulder 
and watching you write that essay or that sermon, that if you're quoting them or saying that they say these things, that you're representing them well, that you're being honest, that you're operating with integrity, because you're saying, if we're going to have really good dialogue and discussion and speak truth to one another, then we need that sort of generosity, even with people that we might disagree with. And it's interesting because I found this little nugget in today's passage that we're going to get to where Jesus talks about this idea of how he doesn't speak on his own, but that he speaks that God is, like he speaks like God is with him. He's speaking God's words. And so we're going to think today a little bit about what it means to judge Jesus rightly and understand who he is, but also to speak as though God is with us. So, should be fun. We've got some work to do to get there, so let's get to it. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've seen Jesus doing a bunch of really cool stuff. We've seen him heal a man who was an invalid for 38 years and give him back the ability to use his body well. We've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. We've seen Jesus walking on water and we've seen him give this incredible sermon talking about how he is the bread of life. That it's not about the physical things that Jesus gives to you that you really need. It's about the fact that he is the bread of life and by faith we feed on him to live forever. All right, now we're going to jump forward in time just a little bit. That, that last section is kind of finished and we're starting a new section that's going to go over the next couple of chapters uh, revolving around Jesus' trip down to Jerusalem. All right, and it starts like this. It says, start of chapter 7, After this, what we just talked about, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Now why on earth would somebody want to kill this guy Jesus who's just been healing and feeding and teaching people about God? Well, it turns out it goes back to that healing of the guy who had been an invalid for 38 years because, as the guy said in Kidspot, Jesus did this on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. And for the Jewish leaders, they were looking at this as though Jesus had broken one of God's laws. It's right there in the Ten Commandments, okay? On the Sabbath, you know, you're not going to do any work. That's kind of the idea. And so these guys are looking at Jesus as a Sabbath breaker, but also when he defended what he did, this is what he says. It said, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders, Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. All right, so it's not just that he's a Sabbath breaker, but it's that when he defended what he did on the Sabbath, Jesus suggested that he and God were equal, just like God works on the Sabbath, so am I. Now, if Jesus was not the Son of God, if Jesus had not been sent from God, then indeed he would have been a lawbreaker and this would have deserved the death penalty under Jewish law. But as we've seen, Jesus has been doing quite a lot to say to everybody, I am the one sent from heaven. Look at my miracles. See these signs. Listen to my teaching. Do not the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures point towards me. And so the issue here is not that Jesus hasn't shown clearly who he is, it's the lack of faith in those that have been hearing him, including these Jewish leaders who now want to kill him. So, that's the situation we find ourselves in, but the thing is that there's this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles that is getting close. 
Alright? It's a big deal. It's the celebration of the harvest time. And so it's a question now, is Jesus going to go down there and his brothers have some thoughts? So, it says, But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you were doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now the key thing here is that last sentence where it says, his own brothers are not believing in him. They will, after his resurrection, his brothers will see him as the Lord and Saviour. But right now, they're looking at him, they're looking at the miracles that he's doing, and they're not getting it either. And so, as they see Jesus doing all this amazing stuff, because they don't believe he really is the one sent from heaven, their assumption is that he is trying to build up this public notoriety for himself. To put it, you know, in TikTok terms, he's trying to build clout. That's what they think is going on here. And so, they're judging him in this way because they don't believe in him. But Jesus doesn't really appreciate where they're coming from and he's got words. Alright? So that's a bit about public figures. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because they testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. So he's saying a couple of things here. First up, he's saying, my time is not yet here for you any time will do. What does he mean by this? I'm operating on God's schedule. God's got a plan for when I'm going to do things. All right? My timing is not your timing. For you, any time will do because you're just making this up for yourselves as you go along. But my time's not yet here because the Father has given me the time when I will show and reveal myself. And this also explains what he means when he says, the world can't hate you, but it hates me, because they testify against them. My brothers, you're just going with the flow of the world, so of course they're not going to have a problem with you, but I'm calling the world out, and so of course they hate me. And so, you guys do you, operate on your own schedule, but for me, I'm not going to go down to the festival before he totally goes down to the festival. Now, um, I've been having a lot of fun with this passage the last few weeks. In the office, I keep on talking about this is the passage where Jesus lies. I don't actually think that Jesus lies, but that's been the fun. But I think we're going to talk about it, right? Because it really, 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 really looks, at first, like Jesus lies. In fact, it looks so much that Jesus lies that in some early Christian manuscripts, like going back to in the first you know, couple of hundred years of Christianity really getting going, some guys looked at that verse where it says, I'm not going up to this festival, and they added the word yet, because they were like, it doesn't look great, let's just smooth that one out a little bit, alright? So it looks as though it is, and, and look, I think that at, we, we have to say that on some level, Jesus is at least content for his brothers to think that he's saying one thing, even if he means another. And actually, that's something that Jesus did quite a lot. Jesus spoke truth, but unless you had eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, you wouldn't necessarily understand the truth that he was speaking. But I think, look, there's two outs here for Jesus, for those that have been really freaked out by this this week. First of all, 
uh, he says, after his brothers left, he went to the festival. When Jesus was saying to his brothers, I'm not going to the festival, what he means is, I'm not going with you according to how you want me to go. That's why he, it also says there, he went not publicly but in secret. His brothers are looking for him to go down there and start doing miracles and put on a show so he can build up this fame that they think that he's all about. And so they're saying, come on down here with us. Maybe they're being sarcastic, maybe they're bitter, maybe they're being sincere, not totally sure. But either way, they're wanting him to go in their way. And when he says, you go to the festival, I'm not going to go, what he means is, I'm not going to go in the way that you want me to and on your timing, but rather my time has not yet come now. The big reveal, when Jesus will go down there to show who he truly is, is actually going to be his crucifixion and resurrection. That's the big show, so to speak. And that's what Jesus means when he says, my time's not yet here. But right now, Jesus is content for them to think that he's not going at all because he intends to go in his own way, not theirs. So yes, it does look a little like Jesus is fibbing, but that's not what's going on here. He's just content for their brothers to understand him one way when he's speaking truth that's revealed to us in this passage. So, he heads down to the festival. And it says there that the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? And among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Okay, Oscar Wilde once famously quipped, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. And everyone here is talking about Jesus. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything about him for fear of the leaders. Jesus' concerns about the Jewish leaders wanting to kill him are well founded. In fact, the sentiment that Jesus is a dangerous figure is so strong that people are having to speak about him in whispers, lest the Jewish leaders come down on any of them also. That's how much they want to try and quash this whole Jesus thing that's got going. And even though he's not going to come down in the big show with the razzle-dazzle that his brothers want him to do, he is still coming down to Jerusalem to do his father's will. And right now, at this point, that looks like teaching about God and continuing to explain to people what's going on. So not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? It's really a pretty incredible scene. Remember, everybody's wanting to kill Jesus. okay? All the, all the religious leaders, and everybody's talking about him, but they're afraid to talk about him openly because of what that might mean for them. But Jesus is still willing to step out and speak truth to these people. And we're going to get a sense of why that is in just a moment. But for now, recognize how they hear his teaching, this Jewish carpenter from some hick town up in the north, teaching in the middle of the religious center of Jerusalem, and these people just being blown away by his teaching about the Lord. And so when they ask, you know, how did he get such knowledge? He answers like this. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So my teaching is not my own. The, the, the reason my teaching is amazing is because it's not my teaching, but it comes from the one who sent me. It comes from God himself. 
And if you do the will of God, then you'll understand where these words come from. Well, what, what is the will of God? What, what is it that they're meant to be doing? Okay, some people think that maybe it's the law, maybe they think if they're like obedient, that sort of idea. I think in context, that's not what's going on here, because just recently in chapter 6, Jesus in that sermon said what the will of God is. He said this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So what that means is when Jesus says here that anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God, what he means is, if you believe in me, if you trust me, then you will know that my teaching does indeed come from God. Again, the issue is not the message. It's not the messenger. It's a question of, are you going to receive these words that Jesus is speaking in faith? Because if you do that, then you will understand and understand correctly what's actually going on here. My teaching's not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And the reason why Jesus is willing to, to, to come in here, into the temple, despite what it's going to eventually cost him, despite the fact that all these people want to kill him, is because Jesus isn't about his glory. He's about the glory of the one who sent him. He says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. There's a sense here where he's saying to the crowd, you can trust what I'm saying because I'm not saying this for my sake. Which we know is really true because what is this teaching going to lead Jesus to? His death on the cross. This isn't the start of Jesus living at large with lots of wealth coming in and popularity and everybody loving him and bowing down before him and all that sort of stuff. Where his teaching is going to lead him to is the cross. He's not doing this for his glory. He's doing this for the glory of the one who sent him, which is going to be seen through the cross and the fact that God can raise Jesus from the dead. But Jesus is saying, guys, this isn't about me. I'm not doing this myself. I'm doing this for the glory of the one who sent me. And you know what? You can trust the one who isn't concerned for his or her glory, but rather the one who sent them. That's a trustworthy person you can bank on right there. So it gives this little bit, answers their question about his teaching, how, why it's so amazing. And then he changes the subject just a little bit because there's a point that he wants to make to them. He says, has not, has, Mo, has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? He's got a bone to pick with the fact that these guys are trying to kill him. Fair enough. Alright? And his point is, all of you guys break the law of Moses. None of you are innocent before the law. So why is it exactly that you are coming after me? And he gives an analogy to prove their hypocrisy. They first say to him, you are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? We know, like, this is ridiculous, right? We know everyone's afraid to talk because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. So these guys are like, what are you talking about, killing you? I can only assume that this is the Jewish leaders who are, you know, leading this cry from the crowd. I can't say for sure. It's my, my assumption. But they seem to be denying it on some level. Like, no, kill you? What are you talking about, Jesus? He goes on. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. 
Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Okay, a little background to understand what is going on here. Part of the Jewish law was, on the eighth day after a baby boy was born, you had to get that kid circumcised. And what Jesus is saying is that you've never had a problem with circumcising a kid on the Sabbath, okay, in order to keep him ritually clean, in order to make sure that he's right before the law of God. You've been willing to work on one small part of the body. No judgment, they're all babies. But you won't let me heal the whole body because you think that this is breaking the law. Can you not see the hypocrisy of being so concerned with this small thing and fixing that one part up compared to the whole body? But how is it that you could possibly be willing to break that law yourself to, to fulfill the law of Moses and, and to fix up this one thing to make this child ritually clean? But when I heal their whole body, now you're looking at me and saying, this person deserves death. And so he finishes there with that exhortation, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And that's the first big takeaway from this passage Right there. Stop judging by mere appearances, but judge correctly. There have been a bunch of judgments made about Jesus in this passage. Not sure if you noticed them all. His brothers make a judgment that the miracles that he is doing are not proof that he is the one sent from heaven because they don't believe in him. They make this judgment that he's about fame. Some people are judging that he's worthy of death and that he is a Sabbath breaker and a blasphemer. Others have judged him to be a good man, but that's it, just a man. Others have judged him to be a deceiver. Some have judged him to be demon-possessed, based upon his claims and what he's saying. And others have judged him to be an amazing teacher. But what he's saying to them is that you guys are making this superficial judgment just based on what you're seeing on the outside, and you're not really getting down to the truth of what I'm saying to you. You're just looking at the outside. You're just looking at the appearance. Yeah, I get it. It looks like when I heal somebody on the Sabbath, it kind of looks at first glance like I'm breaking the rule. But based on what I've been teaching you about who I am, about what I've done, about the fact that I'm showing you these signs and miracles to show you that indeed I am equal with God. If you look a little harder, if you look past the surface, you'll see that I'm actually the bringer of life, not one who deserves death. And so that's kind of the the first exhortation here coming out of this passage. We need to make sure that we're judging Jesus rightly. Two things. If you are not a believer, the the, the judgment that you need to make about Jesus is to recognize that he is the bread of life. He is the one that we need more than anything else. It is through faith in him that we receive eternal life. That That is the will of God, that all who believes in him would have eternal life. That is the judgment that Jesus wants us to make about him, to believe, to trust, so that we can have eternal life. And for the believer, again, I, I want to sort of push on this, because it was, it was really interesting talking about this at youth group on Friday night. When you grow up in church, when you spend a bunch of time in church, you, know, you learn stuff about Jesus. 
But if you're not going deeper yourself, if you're not trying to really wrestle with it, if you're not trying to, to get down into it so that you know Jesus, just like they did in that kid's book before, right? I can spend time around someone but not really know them, right? And you can kind of, you know, he's the Lord, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, I believe in him. And that's good. It's not necessarily like completely wrong. But I wouldn't say that you're totally judging correctly either if you only have like this surface, shallow understanding of that. Because it's so much more, it's so much deeper. And so, if you're a believer here this morning, and you know that you've just been skating along the surface of what it means to know Jesus, can I just encourage you to go deeper, to look beyond the surface, to get into his word, to pray to him, to to be involved in growth group, to prepare for growth group, to read the passage before you come to church, to come with questions, to want to know him deeply and thoroughly, so that we don't just make this mistake of judging Jesus on the surface. Because even if you get it kind of right, if you don't understand it deeply, you're still not understanding it fully. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was an amazing teacher. These guys were looking at him, some of them, and making some right judgments. He was a miracle worker. But there's more to it than that. And so we need to be committed to judging Jesus rightly. But there's another takeaway. I think for us from this one. And, I, and I, it's just fascinated me this week. It, it was, yeah, I'm really excited about it. This idea of what it means for us to speak with God. I don't mean speak to God. I mean speak with God. Here's verses 17 and 18 again. Anyone who chooses to, to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. That's such an interesting phrase, right? Jesus is saying, I'm not speaking on my own. I'm speaking as one who comes from God. There's a sense in which God is with him as he speaks. Jesus is not speaking his words to all these people. The reason that Jesus' teaching is amazing is because he speaks the words that the Father has sent him with. He speaks with God. God is with him as he speaks. I just found this a, a fascinating idea to think about. And, and as somebody who, who speaks for a living, you know, a fair bit, it's been a great question for me to ask myself this week. Am I speaking? Do the words that I speak come from God? Are they words where I can say with my heart that God is with me in these things that I'm saying? How many things do I say that I would say differently if I was asking myself, is God with me in this? How many things might I not say at all if I didn't think that God was with me in them? Now, I'm not saying that everything that we speak right, is to be spoken as the words from God in the same way that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus was serving his particular mission. There was a very clear message that, that God had given to him, and obviously he means that in one sense. But this is what got me here, is that Jesus stakes his claim to truthfulness on the fact that he is not speaking in such a way that he is concerned about his own glory, but the glory of the one who sent him. 
It says there, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus is saying, I've been sent from God. The words that I speak are not my own. God is with me in these words, and you can trust me because I'm not concerned about my own glory, but rather the one who sent me. And so, if we're a people who's called to join Jesus in this mission, to have people judge him rightly, how seriously should we take these words to speak the words that come from God and be concerned about his glory and not our own? How many words do we speak out of that place of insecurity because we're worried about what people think about us? How many times are we evaluating what we say, not based on, is God with me in this, but rather, what do people think of me? What will the result of of this speech be for me and my glory, my platform, my standing, the opinions that others have about me, how they feel about me? How much of that the question that's in our mind, and not, are these words of life that come from God? And I'm not just talking about the gospel message, although that's obviously a massive part of it. I'm talking about, you know, do we speak words that are full of kindness and graciousness and faithfulness and love and hope and joy, all those wonderful fruits of the Spirit? Do we speak in such a way that we build people up or do we cut them down? Do we speak speak in such a way that we encourage people and and want to exhort them to do well, to be the best? Do Do we speak truth in love or do we speak in such a way that We can't honestly say that God is with me in my speech. And so think again, there's two kind of applications for this. Number one, make sure that as we are proclaimers of the gospel, that we seek the glory of the one who sends us, not our own glory. As we seek to tell people about Jesus, if we want them to trust us, then we need to speak it, not with a concern for ourselves, but with a concern of who God is and are we speaking the words that he sends us with. Not just the the message, although that, that gospel content is obviously really important, but the spirit in which we say it. Are we speaking as though Jesus is over our shoulders with us, saying, yeah, that's how I'd say that. That's good. That that is That represents me well. That's what I'd say. But then also, just in our interrelationships with one another, Are we speaking words of life? Not necessarily proclaiming everything about the gospel, the content message, but rather, am I speaking in such a way that when you hear me, you're encouraged and lifted up and built up and edified in your faith? It's just, I'd I'd never seen it before. This idea of speaking with God, that Jesus' words are not his own, but he speaks the words that he's been sent with. And just thinking about our speech, and can we do that too? And I don't know about you, but I'm actually kind of excited about it. Just as an idea, to go through my week, to lift up the words that I speak, and just remember that they're not just my words, but they're, I'm his servant. Um, The Lord is with me, his spirit dwells in me, I dwell in him, that my words actually are meant to carry him with me in some sense. And I'm excited about this week. And I hope you are too, to give this a try, to think as we speak, is the Lord with me? And I'm going to pray that we do that now. Father God, thank you that you are with us and that you send us into this world. You sent Jesus with his mission in your perfect timing to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins so that through faith in him we might live forever. But we know now, Lord, that you send us, you send your church into this world to speak truly about him and to make disciples of all the nations. 
Father, we pray that this week that we would be mindful of the words that come forth from our mouth. We pray, Father, that you would be with us as we speak. We pray, Father, that you would stay our tongues in those moments when we realize that the words we're about to speak are not from you, that you are not in. That, Lord, instead we would seek to make sure that whatever message we're delivering, whether it's the proclamation of you and your resurrection and all your glory, or whether it's the simple words of day by day, Father, may we do so with your spirit with us. And may we be truth-tellers in this world that so desperately needs truth. May we be a trustworthy people because we speak words that come from you and not just from ourselves. And may we all judge Jesus rightly and recognize him in the fullness of everything that he is so we can live for his glory. In his name we pray. Amen.